Hello everyone and welcome to That Time When, the comedy history podcast where each week we tell you about some strange things that have happened in history. I am your host for this week, Barnaby King, and joining me as ever is my co-host, Amelia Edwards. Hello. Hello. How are you doing? I'm sleepy. You are, but you were doing a weird smile at me just then. I was, I was trying to make you laugh. (laughs) Unfortunately, I tend not to really look at you when I'm I'm looking at the microphone. I know. It's like you care about that microphone more than me. I do. This was expensive. That's true. (laughs) You're free. (laughs) All right, Gus. I'm joking, of course. Now, going to have to bring the energy down a bit, I suppose, because today I've got a very sombre topic. Very well. Because we are going to talk about the time that a volcano was responsible for the deaths of a third of Russian people. Jesus. Yeah. A third? A third. Wow. Yeah. And, of course, you might be thinking, you know, how is a volcano going to do that, especially to Russia? Yeah, volcanoes are a long way from Russia, I'm sure. Yeah, generally speaking, yes. Mm -hmm. But it does seem to be the case that there is a volcano that can be held directly responsible for the deaths of two million Russian people. Ooh. Yeah. And no one else. Um, yes, other people, and we are going to talk about them as well, but okay. Russia seems to have had the most impact from this. Huh. But we're going to talk about this volcano, which means that we're going to fly across the world from <gasps> Russia to Peru. Of course! Absolutely. And specifically, we are going to go to the volcano Huaynaputina. Huaynaputina? Yes. I hardly knew her. <laughs> God's sake. <laughs> oh, dear. So I'm, I'm, I feel fairly confident on this pronunciation. It's actually mm-hmm. spelt H-U-A-Y-N-A-P-U-T-I-N-A. Oh man, those crazy Incans. <laughs> Absolutely. And we are going to the year 1600. Okay. Oh, all right. This is within my remit. How come I didn't know about this? I have no idea. Well, you, you sort of did actually. Oh. But you may not have known... About the speci- you may have known about one of the after effects of it. Okay. In fact, I know you know about one of the after effects of it because we'll talk about that. But right now, we're going to go back to the year 1600 and in Peru. Okay. Now, imagine you are a Peruvian villager. Mm hmm. Uh, it is the 19th of February. Okay. For four days around you, earthquakes have been going off. Oh, God. Everyone's getting a little bit nervous. Remind me, have the Spanish arrived yet? They have, yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'm going to blame the Spanish for this. Uh, yes. As, as an Incan villager. Yeah, like, fair That's enough. what I'm going with. Fair enough. Um, but yeah, everyone's getting a little bit worried. People are starting to, you know, make sacrifices to the various gods and that to mm-hmm. try, and, try and just calm this shit down. Yeah. Unfortunately, it doesn't work. And on the 19th of February, uh, Mount Huaynaputina explodes. Ooh. This eruption lasts uh the sort of main part of it lasts for between 12 and 19 hours okay but the continuing effects of it go on for about two weeks more whoa okay yeah not finishing until march Mm -hmm. and this is one of the biggest volcanic eruptions in recorded human history Okay. Now, we know about some bigger ones, obviously places like Yellowstone, which are significantly bigger, yeah. but that was before kind of the rise of humanity. Yeah, Yellowstone is like extinction event level, isn't it? It is indeed. But this one 
is uh, on the Volcanic Eruption Index. Okay. Which is a scale that goes from zero to eight. Sure. And if you imagine eight is um, uh, Yellowstone exploding. Okay. This is a six. Ooh, okay. That puts it on the same level as Krakatoa. Right. But this is actually worse than Krakatoa. This, but it's the same level. Uh, yes, but it's one of these things where there's variation in the categories. Oh, I see. So generally speaking, people think of Krakatoa as like one of the biggest volcanic eruptions that like you might know of. Yeah. This one is larger. Okay. Uh, it is, in fact, the largest volcanic eruption in South America and, in fact, in the Western Hemisphere. Wow, okay. Yeah, in recorded human yeah, history. In recorded- yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's always that caveat because, you know, Yellowstone was many hundreds of times bigger than this, but, you know. Yeah, and also you have to consider the time when it was all just volcanoes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that makes it a bit unfair. Mm. So the way that this uh, looks to you as a villager near, mm-hmm. near to this volcano, an enormous mushroom cloud explodes from the volcano completely covering the sky it turns basically like it's night okay (laughs) but that's okay don't worry you can see because the lightning caused by the explosion lights everything up so that it's kind of daylight as well what yeah turns out this is a thing with large volcanic eruptions the kind of disruption to the atmosphere causes particles to become electrically charged okay and it can create lightning Okay, so I had actually seen this before, but mm. I just assumed it was lightning that happened to be there at the time, you know? No, it seems that lightning can happen as a result of volcanoes if they are sufficiently ma- uh, large magnitude. That's mad. It is mad. This is why I don't do science. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I um, I had to simplify a lot of this stuff because the study of volcanoes is crazy complicated. I bet. But anyway, that doesn't matter to you as a villager who's... Well, day... I'm currently very scared. Yeah, your day became night and then became day again. Uh-huh. So you might want to retreat to your house, but oh no. What? Your house is destroyed because the ash falling down is so heavy, it is crushing everything. Oh no, the pyroclastic flow. Yes, indeed. Uh, so for listeners who don't know, the pyroclastic flow is generally one of the main causes of deaths uh, in a volcanic eruption mm-hmm. basically when the matter which is it's got an official name which is tephra and that's for- that sounds like a modern material i know but it's it it refers to basically anything anything material that a volcano throws out oh okay uh, and it's also how one of the ways you measure the size of a volcanic eruption we'll get to that in a sec great sure um yeah, when that sort of gets into the sky, like mm-hmm. it starts off being this great uh, plume of smoke and various things. But once it becomes dense enough, that column collapses yep. and then it runs down the side of the volcano. And that is the pyroclastic flow or surge, depending on its intensity. Yeah. So this one was powerful enough that it actually rerouted one of the major rivers what? nearby. Okay, yeah, great. Because it altered the landscape so heavily. Yeah. Um, it was a severe disruption. It was a severe eruption. Um, to put this in context, Krakatoa, when that erupted, mm-hmm. it produced 23 cubic kilometers mm-hmm. of tephra. Okay. Wainapatina produced 
30 cubic kilometers. Whoa, okay. Yeah. So my village is wiped out. Absolutely. All my little guinea pig farms yep. that I'd been tending for so long. <laughs> Just gone. <laughs> they're gone. It's estimated that between 1,000 and 1,500 people died directly because of the eruption. Sure. Uh, but of course, that's not going to be the end to it. We'll get to that a little mm. bit later because just some more facts about this volcanic eruption because okay. it is absolutely mad. Before we get there, yeah. so the main volcanic eruption I know about from history is Vesuvius. Yes, this actually uh, shares some similarities with Vesuvius. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh went through three stages of eruption the first stage was basically the same as Vesuvius, which is known as a plineal eruption, mm. named after Pliny, who oh, you know, recorded Vesuvius erupting. Yeah. But do go on, I'm sorry. Um, so what I was wondering was, like, the thing that Vesuvius is famous for now is that the pyroclastic flow meant that a lot of people got preserved, mm. sort of, in their, like, final corpse pose. Yeah. Has that happened here? Um, I think... I think in this case, I'm not entirely certain, but I think it was so violent that anything that was covered was basically thrown about as well. Oh, okay. So, so you need you need a sort of perfect dusting of ash rather than like yeah, full pretty on. much <laughs> to again to go with the sort of force of this explosion. Uh, bits of it were found in Antarctica. What? Yeah. What? <laughs> yeah. But Peru isn't even the furthest south country in yeah. South America. Oh my god! Okay. So this uh, this eruption was so loud it could be heard more than a thousand kilometers away. Okay. So it could be heard in the capital of Peru. Like in context, that would mean if this volcano went off at the very southern point of the UK, yeah, you could hear it. At the very northern point of the UK. Jesus. And actually okay. several beyond hundred that. kilometers beyond that as well. Wow. Yeah. All right. Um, a lot of people, uh, when they heard this noise, thought that it was a lot closer mm-hmm. and thought that it must be cannon fire from English Corsairs. Uh, Makes there's sense. a record of uh, <laughs> one individual writing to a neighbouring town to request soldiers to help because the English were clearly attacking. Oh, right. So was this a point where, like, the Spanish are there, I'm assuming, because writing. Yeah. And are like, oh, no, the English want it too. Yeah. Because we always want the the Spanish have. Absolutely. 100% of the time. But in this case, it wasn't wasn't anyone. (laughs) It was a volcano going just boom. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? right? But you might be asking... What does this have to do with Russia? I was wondering that. Mm. It seems very opposite sides of the world. Like, it's in the south and Russia's in the north. And it's got the Pacific in the way. Yeah, exactly. Now, the problem mostly comes from this huge column of tephra spewing out of the volcano. The column, we don't have an exact figure for its height but it's estimated that it was between 27 and 35 kilometres high. How high is the atmosphere? Now, the atmosphere has basically five layers to it. Great. The lowest layer is the troposphere. Mm Mm-hmm. That goes up to 17 kilometres. Okay, so it went past the atmosphere that we know. Uh, And into the stratosphere. Oh, Jesus. Uh, which goes up to 55 kilometers. And of course, this is incredibly important because once this cloud gets into the stratosphere, it spreads. Yeah. 
and it affects the climate. Okay. Yeah. So I think Krakatoa did this. Yes. Because it led to the year that was like the year without a summer. Yeah. When everyone went a bit weird and Mary Shelley wrote Frankenstein. Yeah. So this is uh, has an actual name. It's a volcanic winter. Ah. Um, because essentially the particles in the atmosphere obscure the sun mm-hmm. and prevent light and heat from getting to the earth as easily. It's, um, it's a bit like what uh, global warming is doing mm. like, in terms of making it difficult for sun's rays to get through in in times like winter right okay yes yeah which causes extremes in weather mm-hmm. i'm not a climatologist but I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm doing my best here <laughs> don't fact check us this is a history podcast <laughs> yeah absolutely now because of this uh layer of ash it created a volcanic winter worldwide okay wow And this had a particular effect in Russia because Russia had for some time been going through a bit of a difficult time. Okay. I mean, to be fair, like if you look into Russian history, it seems like it's always a difficult it's always time. A difficult when time. has it ever been a good time? You, yeah, you'd say that. But the thing is, this is a time that is known as the time of trouble. Oh God. Okay. So for Russia. For them to call it the time of troubles, you know it's got to be particularly bad. Yeah. Now, the uh, period of this time of troubles, uh, it goes from 1598 to 1613. And I'm going to give you a bit of context just so that you know where this is sitting before the eruption and why this is not a great time for this to happen. Okay. So we're going to go back to the first czar. Ooh. Do you know who that is? You probably do. Is it Peter the Great? No, it's Ivan the Terrible. Oh, Ivan the Terrible. Absolutely. Great name. It's such a good name. And from the accounts I've read in this story, yeah, terrible man. I will say that. Absolutely. It it doesn't mean something else. It's not like um, Peter the Bald or whoever it was. I suspect it does, but in this context, (laughs) it's pretty rough. Okay. So... Uh, various wars had been going on throughout Russia. Mm-hmm. They were fighting on various different fronts, and one of this, the main cities had been taken. Okay. And Ivan the Terrible got into an argument with his son, Ivan Ivanovich. Great. <laughs> because sure. you've got to have of a lot course, of Ivans. his name is Ivan Ivanovich. I'm assuming Ivanovich means son of Ivan. Yes, it does. Right. Yeah, so... <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> hey, All right. I mean, Russia loves its Ivans, its Vasilis, and its Vasilias. Yeah, well, you know that because of my collection of, North, of Russian do. folktales. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Everyone's called Vasily. Yeah, unless sh- they're called Ivan. Yeah, we should expect Barbie Yaga to turn up any moment now. Sure. Uh, but so this was Ivan's uh, first son, and he was the Tsarevich or heir apparent. Okay. So he was to be the next Tsar. And he had got into an argument with his dad because he wanted his dad to be more aggressive militarily and try and take back this city. Okay. And Ivan the Terrible was like, nah, we've got other things to focus on right now. Mm. But this argument caused a huge rift between them to the point that Ivan the Terrible Mm. picked up his scepter and smashed his son on the head with it. That's a bad move with your heir apparent. It absolutely is. Because 
uh, young Ivan mm-hmm. immediately falls down. Yeah. And Ivan the Terrible is like, oh no, oh God, I've killed him. Yeah. Uh, now, there was a witness to this, uh, a man by the name of Boris Godunov, <laughs> which... <laughs> sure. Why are you laughing at that? Because it sounds like good enough. Uh, well, I mean, he sort of was. Yeah. Um, okay, so for, got for Ivan, the ter- anyway. Ivan the Terrible and Boris Godunov. <laughs> Boris Godunov. <laughs> he, um, actually, he's uh, the subject of a uh, Magorsky opera. Oh, really? It's the one that I nearly saw recently oh, before yeah. I realised that tickets were incredibly expensive for mm. a live cinema show. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but um, uh, Boris was Ivan's son-in-law. Okay. Because he was married to Ivan's second son. Not called Ivan. He was called Fyodor. Wait, Boris was married to Ivan's second son? Sorry, no. Let me do that again. <laughs> you just made history, like, amazingly LGBTQ this, friendly. No, this is so... Oh, God. <laughs> it's with all the Ivans and everything. It's so complicated. Okay, let, okay. Me, let me, like, go back. Okay. Okay. Boris. Yeah. He was the brother of... Yes. Fyodor's wife. Right, okay. So... <laughs> okay, that makes sense. So, for a beautiful moment there, I thought that gay marriage was accepted in the 1600s in Russia. Oh, that would become such a useful precedent considering, you know, current Russian attitudes towards LGBTQT people. But... I know. Oh, that oh, was great man. though. I enjoyed that. <laughs> okay. That's not even relevant to later. Okay. <laughs> okay. 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 So, so Boris... Boris and Ivan and Fyodor and Ivan and Boris. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> And okay. Vasilia. Okay, shush, there's no Vasilia. Actually, there might be. I can't remember the name <laughs> of his wife. Great. Let me, let me just quickly look that up just to make sure that this is not actually the case. Turns out Theodore's wife, sister, wife, was called Vasilia. <laughs> no, her name was Irina. Okay. It's still a pretty good Russian name. That is still but... a good Russian name. Okay, good. good. Okay. Where was I? Oh, yeah. Okay, right, right. So He witnessed this. Ivan the Terrible hits his son. Boris tries to intervene and gets whacked a few times uh, before Ivan the Terrible realises what he's done. Okay. The younger Ivan is taken away and he lays in a coma for four days Ooh. until he dies. Ooh. Yeah. Poor Ivan Ivanovich. I know, right? It's mm. really quite a tragic tale. And it's one of the things where it's like, Ivan, yeah, you are pretty terrible. Although I like... Dad, I want you to be more violent. I'll show you more violent. <laughs> oh, dear. So Ivan the Terrible had, including the now deceased Ivan, he had three sons in total. Right. He had Ivan, mm-hmm. he had Fyodor, mm-hmm. and he had Dimitri. Okay. Now, Fyodor was obviously the second son. Yes. And you know from history, second son's don't expect to inherit but somehow always do it seems yeah and that's in the case of the angevin empire you're just gonna skip your second son yeah. and move straight to the third one yeah fair enough but i'm thinking um wasn't henry the eighth henry the eighth that was it i knew yeah. there was a famous english king well i mean was... there was henry the eighth there was richard the lionheart as oh, well yeah, yeah yeah he was second son yeah we get a lot of them because yeah. sons die all the time. Absolutely. Just like they don't in Game of Thrones. Indeed. We're going to keep bashing that despite the fact it's been like years now. 
I know, but oh, God. what a, what a waste. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, so Fyodor was the new Tsarevich. Okay, this was not great because Fyodor was not cut out to be Tsar. No, I'm assuming like Henry VIII, he wasn't really raised to be the king. No, he's been raised to have a good time and hang out in the courts. Not quite. He actually uh, was raised quite pious. Oh, he was he going was, to be the monk. He was going to be the monk. Right. And this was helped by the fact that he was also quite a sickly boy. Oh dear. Okay. Yeah. He's a Louis. Yes, he is. Absolutely. Now, this happened in 1581. Ivan the Terrible lives for three years more, Mm -hmm. but come 1584, he dies, and Fyodor is pronounced the new Tsar. And he's slightly relieved because he had been worried about his dad maybe hitting him over the head (laughs) with a a scimitar? Scepter. With a scepter. If it was a scimitar, that would cleave him in two. Yeah. Um, So... Uh, Fyodor rules with the assistance of various regents and councils, including Boris Godunov. Okay. And it seems here that we have to go into some speculation mm-hmm. because the younger son, Dmitri, kind of disappears. Ooh. Now, it looks like he was gotten rid of. Mm. Some of the suspicion is that um, Boris was responsible for this. Mm-hmm. Because basically he was acting as regent. Yeah. And, you know... He wants to make sure that power is set in stone. Exactly. The other suspicion is that he was gotten rid of to stop things being difficult because Dimitri was uh, the son of Ivan the Terrible and his seventh wife. Right. The Russian Orthodox Church did not recognise legitimate children born after a third marriage. That's a weird cut-off point. I know, if you're gonna right? have one. I know. Yeah, but as a result, <laughs> wow. as a result, Dmitri technically was illegitimate. Okay. So it could be that they just wanted to, you know, just just resolve any complications from that. Sure. And boy, did that not work. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> So, Fyodor rules for some time. I mean, he rules for about 14 years. No, that's not bad. But during that time, he produces no heir. Yeah. He only has one child, a young daughter, who I think dies very young. Okay. So, we've got one of those kings who's a bit sickly. Yeah. Presumably not interested in begetting kids. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Unhelpful to a kingdom that yeah pretty much so when it comes into 1598 and Fyodor dies apparently of an illness mm-hmm. it doesn't I mean it's one of those things where it's like uh, illness could be. could be could be not yeah. hard to say either way but regardless he dies there's nowhere and this is actually the end of the Rurik dynasty damn that was a short dynasty no, the Rurik dynasty had ruled Russia since the 9th century. What? Okay, yeah. sorry, I assumed it started with the first Tsar. No. Okay. No, it was way before that. They'd ruled Russia for 700 years, basically. Wait, this was the dynasty who were Vikings? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so with no heir, mm-hmm. the Russian equivalent of parliament basically decides, hey, Boris Godunov, you look all right. <laughs> Do you want to be Tsar? And he's like, well... I've been waiting for this moment for 14 years. <laughs> yeah, kind he's of. Like, he's just standing like with his fingers 
temple together, Mr. Burns style. <laughs> like he's been standing there in every single portrait of yeah. Theodore. He's just like there in the shadows. <laughs> and Boris is like, oh no, I'm like, if, yeah, if you want. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I suppose, you know, uh, burden of rulership. I guess I'll, I guess I'll take it on. Yeah, you know, Sure, no one else wants it? No, 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 you're all good. Yeah, okay, yep. right. <laughs> so he is crowned. He good. becomes ruler. Good. He gets that scepter. He's yeah. like, anyone anyone crosses me. <laughs> <laughs> There's still blood on it. Yeah. <laughs> no Theodore didn't it. want to go near it. Yeah. I mean, rightly so. Um, so Godunov's reign starts off quite well, actually, and okay. he's pretty popular. This begins to take a... Turning point in 1600 mm-hmm. when Wainapatina erupts. Okay, yeah. Now, because of the lack of sunlight, the crops fail. Yeah. Because of the freezing winter, obviously. Yeah, that makes sense. So I actually know a bit about this particular freezing winter because it affected England as well. It did. It's known as the Little Ice Age. Yeah. Uh, and yes, you, I don't know if you've mentioned it on the podcast, but you, you told me about this many years ago mm-hmm. because, um, what is it? There were some monks who started complaining that everything was too cold and they couldn't have enough wine. Yeah, the students in... The um, students, that was it. The students in Oxford, I think, yeah. complained about this. And <laughs> yeah, and their ink was freezing. and That was it. And they were very upset because, yeah, you couldn't grow wine in England, which yeah. they had been able to do before. Yeah, we had kind of like a warm period between sort of like 10th century to this point. Yeah. Um, so yeah, wine growing in England was, you know, it was a thing. Which... It was like it is today, actually, which yeah. is, you know, new now, but yeah. it was a thing at the time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, but this caused this little ice age globally, mm. but Russia was severely affected because, you know, it's a pretty cold place anyway. Yeah. It's a pretty hard place to farm anyway. Yeah. And they it... don't get the Gulf Stream. No. And it doesn't help when there's a volcanic winter. Yeah. So the price of grain doubled to somewhere between 60 and 70 kopecks. Okay. Now, (laughs) I did some maths on this, and this is mad because I couldn't get a straight answer as to exactly how much this costs. Yeah. So the official figure says that a quarter of grain cost 60 to 70 kopecks. Okay. Now, I looked it up and a quarter is an obsolete Russian measurement. Good, yeah. That basically adds up to about 26 litres by volume. Okay. So, I did some calculations as to exactly how much grain that is. Yeah. For that amount, you could feed a family of four for four days. Okay. Now, to put this in context, it is the same price as a cow. What? A whole cow okay. was the same price as enough grain to feed a family of four for four days. Right. This gets worse because by the next year, that price is going to increase to three rubles. Mm. Now, and I'm going to assume cons- that the price of cows is going up as well. Almost certainly, yes. Mm. But if you consider that a kopeck is a pe- is kind of the penny to the rubles pound or okay. cent to the dollar if you're American, yeah, then you can see that that is... Almost quadrupling, almost quintrupling, yeah. <laughs> if that isn't even as a word, by the next year. Jesus. Okay. So no one's eating today. No one is eating. Uh, and I'm I'm basing, by the way, my figure of 
family of four for four days based on the sort of medieval diet. Yeah. Which comprises of like two to three pounds of grain a day. Yeah, there's a lot of bread in the medieval diet. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've mentioned this before you with have. the thing about, what was it, a French peasant in the 1200s yeah. would eat... 4,000 calories a day and it's almost entirely bread. Yeah, so where I got this from, they had comprised their figure of effectively you get 2,500 calories from bread yeah, and 1,500 calories from beer. Great, yep, <laughs> sounds good. So kind of just more grain. So basically these people are just fermenting themselves. <laughs> yeah. But obviously in Russia, this means that the price of grain has exploded. Yeah. No one can afford it. So the government has to get involved. So what they start doing is they start selling grain themselves at half the market price. Okay, yeah. So they're selling it at a loss. But that makes sense. It does make sense. But of course, it means the treasury starts emptying. Yeah. And things aren't getting better. Yeah. Because the soil is still, like, it's it's not good enough for, to make up for the lack of sunlight. Yeah. So while they're paying out loads and loads of money to just try and get grain to people, the weather's just making everything so much worse. By the next year, they had to change tactics and ended up giving out the grain for free. Oh my god. But they could only do this in the major cities. Because it's impossible to deal with all of the transport links? Exactly. Yeah. So of course what ends up happening is people from the countryside flee to the cities yeah. to get food. Oh, God. Okay. And, of course, this causes a couple of things. Firstly, widespread poverty in the cities mm-hmm. and just destabilization because suddenly you've got loads of refugees yeah. and everyone's very hungry yeah. and you're trying to get out food to the people. But it also means that people who might have been farming the land have had to leave to go and get food. Yeah. So this Useful, is useful, yeah. Yeah. This is why it's estimated that by 1603 the weather had cleared up, but mm-hmm. the famine actually continued because there simply weren't enough people to, you know, yeah. farm the land. Well, that makes sense as well because if you imagine that the land hasn't really had enough grain in it or like yeah. enough things happening in it, then yeah. the soil is going to be weird. It's yeah. not going to be helpful. You're going to have to take a few years to get it back to normal quality. Absolutely. And it does. Officially, the uh, Russian famine is between 1601 and 1603. Okay. But it does take some time after that to kind of get it up to manageable levels. So we have some official figures. Um Apparently, 127,000 bodies were buried in Moscow. Wow. Because of the refugees and people just starving in the streets. And as I said at the beginning, the cumulative total was roughly 2 million people. Mm. And Russia only had a population of about 6 million at the time. That's insane. So as a result of this famine Mm -hmm. caused by this volcano, a third of Russia died. By 1605... Boris Godunov dies. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was kind of in a shitty situation because obviously he couldn't control this volcano happening on the other side of the world. Yeah. But it seems like there were other factors going on and this was just one of those things where it's like he didn't manage the crisis well. Mm -hmm. Getting the food out was difficult. He effectively bankrupted the, uh, the crown. Yeah. That makes sense. It seems like he did the best of a bad, like... 
situation though i'm not sure what i'd do differently i don't know if i'd say best there's some other stuff going on and to be honest i might at some point do an episode on the time of troubles because it's very complicated okay there's a lot of stuff because like as soon as he started losing popularity a lot of rumors started spreading up that he was a usurper that there was a secret heir to the throne out there yeah okay like i said it's complicated because it's russian yeah (laughs) (laughs) so godunov dies in 1605 Uh, His son succeeds him, but is then promptly bumped off. Mm -hmm. And uh, they are then followed by the Romanovs. Yay! Who continue to rule into the 20th century. The Russians really like long ruling dynasties. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) We've got our Plantagenets and we're like, oh, they're long lasting. And Russia's like, hold my beer. (laughs) Hold my vodka. (laughs) In fact, give me the beer. We're very (laughs) hungry here. So yeah, that is that time when a volcano killed a third of Russia. Wow. I said it was somber. And you know, it's 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 one of these mad things where it's like you could look at this and if you kind of knew the context, you could kind of be like yeah, some sort of like higher power is like Screw yeah. you, Boris Godunov, you are not going to rule. Well, so this is super interesting just thinking back to my studies on this time which were obviously Mm. very western european based because you know what happened in western europe because there were a lot of famines yeah the witch trials oh of course but in russia they did believe in witches but they don't seem to have had major witch trials in the same way as far as i know and possibly that's because everyone was busy dying yeah i think that might well be the case yeah like if a third of your population is dying everyone's hungry like you're, you're probably not thinking too hard about witches mm. <laughs> which is to, to their loss because the witches were there practicing their evil magic they were the ones who made the volcano explode in the first place absolutely yeah some very angry witches mm-hmm. <laughs> thank you very much for listening to that episode of that time when you can follow us on twitter at that time when four and you can suggest any episodes to us at ttwpod at gmail.com Thank you, as always, to Kevin McLeod for our theme song, Anachronist, as well as any other music that Barnaby's used in the podcast. And thank you for listening. Now go out, invest in eels, and hoard your grain. Bye!